the witness of the consecrated woman brings something ultimate down and shows us the, the other half of the story, the priest. Consecrated men, that's only half the story, right? That's the Christological side. But you take out the bridal, you not only take out half the story, you take out the church's own kind of awakened self-awareness because the church is the bride. All of us are the bride. I don't know how to be a bride. But when I see a holy, vibrant, consecrated woman, I'm like, oh, that's how a bride relates to Christ. Welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by Dave Let the Fire Fall Van Vickle. How are you doing, Dave? Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> let the fire fall. We need it, man. We need it. We really do. We really do. And today we are joined by a special guest, uh, Father John Burns. How are you doing today, Father John? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm doing great. I need a nickname, too. I'll let the fire fall twice. Yeah, yeah. You're hanging out at a, at, in a seminary right now? I am, yeah, I am. Uh, St. Francis of Sales Seminary here in Milwaukee. Oh, nice, nice, nice. And what do you, uh, we were just talking a little bit before the show, and I just randomly asked, like, hey, what are you up to now? And then it was the most fascinating thing. So what are you up to right now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the question everybody, even in my own diocese, asks. I have a, a weird assignment. I'm assigned to like, it doesn't even really have a title. It's basically the renewal of women's religious life. I am... Uh, basically released or set by my bishop to help uh, across the country anywhere um, that needs help, either renewing existing religious communities or helping get uh, women's vocations on track on the ground anywhere that, uh, yeah, where we don't have someone walking with young women in discernment the way that we always walk with the guys discerning priesthood. So yeah, the renewal of women's religious life, deep, deep, deep passion of mine. What, uh, what obstacles are there, do you find right now? to women's uh, consecrated life, religious life? Yeah, the biggest is probably just the, the fact that the religious life has been diminished so significantly, you know? Like we, our generation, most of us, I don't know about you too, but like everybody my age, we didn't really grow up with sisters. I mean, there were kind of some sisters in the schools. After us, like nobody, you know, like the teenagers we're dealing with now and a lot of our youth ministry, they just haven't seen a woman in a habit. They don't even know that religious life is a possibility. So a lot of the time it's like, helping them realize that uh, a religious woman is not a unicorn. Like it's a real thing in the world that exists and they can think about doing it. And uh, that's a big uphill battle for a culture that, uh, yeah, just hasn't been exposed to the fact that God calls men and women to be consecrated, to give their lives. And it's not the same thing. To be a sister is not the same thing as a priest. So it's a lot of ground level work on helping people see and realize what's happening. But but then like in the hearts of young women, just helping them recognize that like, yeah, the Lord is interested in a profound relationship with you that may be spousal. And that's a possibility. I and mean, a lot of time that kind of explains for a young woman what's been happening in her heart and her prayer, but she didn't have a kind of a scheme off for that. So she didn't know what to do about the depth of her prayer until she realizes uh, maybe this is a calling. And, uh, and there are sisters out there still, a lot of them actually some beautiful communities. So bridging the gap between the woman who's grappling with a deep call and then the fact that that call does have a place in the church. That, that is awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you don't see it, you're, I mean, it's just almost impossible to realize that that could be a calling if you're not seeing what that life is like. So this is, yeah, that's, that's, this is important. That's like my fear with it all, you know, is that um, yeah. if we, if we keep sort of as we are, we're going to keep drifting toward setting a normal setting in which we just presume like, yeah, most local churches don't have visible consecrated women. And uh, if we do that, then we'll just sort of forget that 
prior to a couple decades ago, there's no history of the church without consecrated women alongside the consecrated men, educating, evangelizing, working, you know, in the trenches, serving the poor. That's a part of our story. It's in our DNA. And we're just like on the very cusp in a number of places uh, of losing that or forgetting about that. And if we don't begin really trumpeting uh, the authentic nature of our, our whole story and the fact that right now it doesn't really look like the way it used to look for the rest of our prior history, we're going to be in trouble. So it's, yeah, it's like a lot of advocacy and reminding ourselves, like we got to remember our story and realize that the church flourishes when all the consecrated and vocational states are in balance. There's an ecosystem, I'm convinced, in the vocational stratosphere. And you take one out and the rest of them kind of have to adjust and get sick. Yeah, so you said something that really hit me right before the show where you said, in the whole history of the church, we've never not had religious sisters. So this is a really dangerous time. Right. Yeah. In, oh in, man. Yeah. And that is that is like honestly, when you put it like that, you know, you because know, you, you hear people, oh, the decline of women's religious institutions, and like you hear these things as like yet another horrifying stat coming out of the Catholic Church, and you just go, oh yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like we have always from the first moment the church. Uh, I mean, you can even see this biblically of. Uh, the groups of widows that would right. gather together right. and, and live what would be called a, a, a kind of like a consecrated life um, in Acts totally. and all that stuff. Good Lord. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, and, and if you get beyond, you know, part of the problem was we started to treat a lot of these lives, including the priesthood, religious life, consecrated virginity, widows, as like functions, you know, like if it's yeah. useful, we need it. And so let's treat it like it's <laughs> someone doing something for us. And, you know, we adjusted, we hired lay teachers. And so, yeah, maybe there's not a room for, I don't know, teaching orders, et cetera, on the church the way we used to have them. But it's, it's just so much deeper than that. Like what, what they bring, no one else brings, which is like the embodied, personified um, witness to the bride. And, and that's the church, right? The church is the bride. And the consecrated woman personifies that to remind the whole church of what it is to be espoused to Christ, to let that love be fruitful, uh, to point toward the ultimate marriage, the wedding feast of the Lamb, Revelation, the end of time. And you take that out, and we all have to kind of do theology in a vacuum. We got we to gotta talk about it, and we can, and we can teach it, and, and there's wisdom and grace. But the, the witness of the consecrated woman brings something ultimate down and shows us the, the other half of the story, the priest. Consecrated men, that's only half the story, right? That's the Christological side. But you take out the bridal, you not only take out half the story, you take out the church's own kind of awakened self-awareness because the church is the bride. All of us are the bride. I don't know how to be a bride. But when I see a holy, vibrant, consecrated woman, I'm like, oh, that's how a bride relates to Christ. I want to help the church do that better. <laughs> so it's, it has a massive ecclesiological impact. To, and you take that out and the whole church is ecclesiology. We're going to have to shift our theology without it. That, that, that is awesome. I'm fired up about this. You are. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what? My, my daughter, who's, uh, who, who's just young, she's eight. We, like probably like four years ago, this, this Spanish religious order moved into our area and we kind of adopted them. They could hardly speak English. And it is amazing because they are so happy and so committed. They, I mean, you ask her like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I mean, nine times out of 10, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to live with them and be happy with them. And, and it's like, they're just a walking vocation story. You know, it's like, (laughs) you're totally right that we don't see it. You know, it's, it's a problem, but, but seeing it is so powerful. Oh man. And imagine, so imagine that if that was happening in your, let's say your daughter's called uh, by God 
and and this has been the plan, you know, since the beginning for her, but she was never kind of exposed to it or didn't have a setting in which to like notice her heart comes awake around other women that are living that way. Right. Uh, you, you don't have a setting for that. Then you have this like tension for a woman that basically goes unresolved if there's no arena for considering and even discerning consecrated life. But if she's called by God, because God is still calling, we see that at the, the youth conferences like crazy. This can be these frustrated hearts, you know, that like didn't examine a question, didn't know what was happening in their hearts, presumed it wasn't around anymore. So why bother thinking about being a, all the Lords? And uh, later on, you got these people kind of looking back saying, I don't know, did I miss something? Or Because if the local church doesn't sustain a place in which that question can be asked, we're going to have a lot of glancing over our shoulders and wondering, in a number of places, what happened and what's my calling and am I in the right place, which is a really tragic place to find ourselves. So we're kind of front ending or you're trying to basically uh, avert a crisis before it comes. But that means talking about stuff that a lot of people just aren't thinking about. Oh, man, this makes me want to get my youth ministers to start inviting sisters to youth group. Do it. Oh, Oh, man. Dude, that's such a simple solution. Yeah, bring them in. We we just had a consecrated from Regnum Christi come and give uh, a brilliant presentation to the middle school girls on on the consecrated life and we had a deacon give a talk for the boys but uh it it is fascinating to think of this like when they think of church they they think of the priest and their contact with the priest is less and less and less because we are now in mega parishes their only real relationship to priests, you know, outside of my family, right? Because I work here and stuff, but their only real contact with them is through the liturgy, right? Or the sacraments of confession or something like that. And so their notion of these people who are wholly dedicated to an ecclesial vocation is almost non-existent, right? And because even though it's the priest that they see, they don't see the priest all that much because the the decline of vocations. And so yeah, I mean, like, not so. So we already have the part that they do see; they see less and less, and the other half they don't see almost at all. Uh, that is shocking. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's like the sort of thing. I mean, I think for a while we just were like, you know, uh, the priest will take care of the guys, uh, the sisters will take care of the girls, and and then the rest of us will kind of move into our apostolates, marriage, life, single in the world. However, we kind of end up, yeah. you know, pursuing the gospel. But we've sort of forgot that, like, no, no, all of all of the health of all of the vocational states pertains to the health of the body, and so we, all of us, need to be interested in the well-being and health of all of the others. And so, where there's a diminishment of any one of them, we're all going to suffer for it. And I just think we fell asleep at the wheel uh, on women's vocations for a very long time because we just thought the sisters were taking care of it because they always did until only somewhat recently. And uh, now, ground zero is like, we just need to help young women see sisters. So they realize like, oh, okay, that's a thing. And I could do that. It's not just an idea. And it's not just my youth minister talking about it even, or my teacher. It's it's a person in the world. And she's really happy. Like you said, Dave, that's a beautiful witness. Like yeah. they're the, some of the happiest people in the church are consecrated women. It's like, yeah. everybody needs that witness. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, that has been my strategy with my kids and it has worked very well, like to the point where I'll have to say, you know, you have to discern marriage too. Like we just, anytime we met awesome priests or awesome sisters, like we just made them part of the family. And my boys, like if you said to them, do you want to be like a Navy SEAL or a priest? They, they're like in a crisis. Like I, they don't know which one is cooler because of, <laughs> of that, you know? And, and same with my, my daughters, like they, they just don't know what, like what could be better than that. So it's, it does like I think the exposure idea is just I mean just the idea that it's an option and that they're happy and fulfilled. It's like it's so countercultural and kids are l- desperately looking for something countercultural. So 
Totally. And then when they've got all those options in front of them, if you will, not to reduce it to options, but when they've seen them all, then that's all the raw material for the Lord. Like the Lord then can do the calling, the drawing, because it's all real. It's all incarnate and they've seen it. So that's that's for, for vocations work, that's got to be our plan is that like we just need to set the options before them and then let the Lord speak into how he wants them to spend themselves for the gospel in pursuit of heaven. Rather than just like, you know, I only had one option or I only had a couple. I didn't even know this was a reality. So yeah. praise God that it's happened in your families and, and let's, yeah, let's get that everywhere. When you see uh, young women, what are, what are indicators that maybe the Lord is calling to this uh, level of intensity of, of bridal love, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always the way they talk about their prayer. And I just, someday I want to write a little book. I, I work almost full time with women now and sisters, especially. I want to write a little book from the male perspective on how a woman prays because women write about how women pray, men write about how men pray, but there's something that I think I, I've seen in the way women pray that's so distinctly beautiful. And from the, the male perspective, I'd, I'd really like to raise that up for the church because they have an ease of relating in, in bridal terms, all women do, to God. And you'll even walk with married women who are like, I just have this deep, deep love of God. And it's uh, it feels kind of bridal. I'm like, well, it is. It actually is for all of us, but it's easier for the woman to enter into that. But when you start hearing that kind of language um, of like really intense love, uh, strong senses of grace and prayer, and there's a certain... Yeah, just like a woman who, you know, is has a crush on someone at a young age and the way they talk about them is a little different. You'll hear, even in high school already, a woman will start talking about the way she prays and there's like a little bit of that kind of crush tone or, you know, or like this tenderness about the way they're getting to awesome. know Jesus. And you're like, okay, you may just want to carry that carefully in prayer and ask what Jesus is saying to you there because he's relating to you very personally and, and intimately. And so you, you can spot a little bit of a difference very early on. Um, and then you just help her to sit in that and not to be afraid of it. And, and you watch how it grows. And sometimes, sometimes it really does grow uh, rather quickly, even in high school, but especially in college and after college. And then you watch my favorite thing. Uh, one of the Sisters of Life was telling me this years ago. I was asking how I help women discern and what happens when they come to a convent and what's it like. And, you know, for us in seminary, it's like you just got to get a guy to one of the vocation camps, got to get him to the seminary, get him running around with the guys. And if he's not afraid of it or not close to it, let's, you know, figure out how to help him discern. For a woman, it's much more delicate and nuanced, especially because you have charisms and communities that are not just like diocesan as the priesthood is. Yeah. But, but what she said was when a woman comes here, we're looking to see if she's at home. And if she's at home, that might be our sign that God is inviting her to spend her life here. I was like, but what does that look like? She said, well, when a woman comes to pray with us on a, on a discernment retreat, if she can eat here, if she can sleep here, if she can pray here, if she can laugh here, that's, that's almost her body telling us that her soul um, settles down in this place. And, and that tells us the Lord is relating to her in a place of tenderness, which may well be an indication that she needs to formally discern here. So that's just like a layer that's of dynamics awesome. that we don't have in men's heart. Like, men aren't really like that. I, am I at home right. here? You know, I'm not thinking about like, right, right. I'm just like, can I do this? I'm scared to death, but I think I'll try. Okay, let's go. <laughs> so it's very different. <laughs> it's a awesome. beautiful difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I don't even want to talk about the subject today. I just want to talk <laughs> about oh, the this is really cool. I know. Yeah. Well, okay, so here's here's uh, can I can I offer some objections from a woman's heart? What? Uh, yes, I, be I, the there woman. Is, there is a, a wonderful uh, there's a wonderful woman that I meet with who is struggling through different issues with her Catholic faith, right? And she said to me, uh, "It seems that because women can't be priests, they will always be powerless in the church." 
To which anyone who works for the church is like, are you kidding me? This is literally <laughs> no. entirely run by women. Men are only the functionaries. <laughs> but uh, she, uh, but she, you know, in her heart, she's like trying to understand how can there be equality, you know, before God of the sexes if God, if they live in a six sacrament church, holy orders is denied to them. And, uh, you know, and she, and she would say things like, well, obviously there are nuns and stuff, but it's not the priesthood and, you know, they're monks too. And so I don't know, how, how do you respond to this, this authentic feminine longing for the church? I mean, this person is not pro women priests or anything. She's just trying to understand the, this kind of, um, yeah, the, the need for, or the reflection of human sexuality in the divine dance that we have yeah so that's a i love that question because it it actually forces us to get deeper than function it forces us to look at biology uh however we want to define gender and talk about the relationship between the two but but also archetypes man woman adam eve new adam new eve our lady jesus christ and what ultimately what we're getting at is, is the fact um that god when he placed within the created order the power to generate he took that power, which is his, it's a creative power, and he invited us to share in it, and he divided it into two and, and pointed the two parts toward each other uh, for full self-understanding, but also for generation. And so we call this uh, dyadic potentiality. It's a massive kind of mouthful, but, but <laughs> nature's dyadic generatively, like you generate with another uh, among animals and human beings. And that means you only have half of, if you will, the, even the generative story and generation and the union that generates is perfective of the human person. It, it leads to flourishing and fulfillment. And you can't really articulate fulfillment and flourishing without taking account of the other uh, in the, w- with respect to the human heart. So that means on the natural plane, we can articulate that easily biologically, but also even theologically for marriage, human relationships. But there's also a supernatural correlate because nature is the prelude to supernature. Like what we find in an ordered fashion in nature, we're going to find some correlation on the supernatural plane. So that means there's there's a distinctly masculine generative life of flourishing and fulfillment that is, is male consecration. Sometimes that includes the priest. It doesn't have to. It can be monks and brothers. Um, and there's a distinctly feminine that, that has an entire landscape on the supernatural plane of generation, intimacy, communion, fulfillment, perfection, all these things. And, and they can't be exchanged for one another. Like, because our biology is a part of the somatic constitution of the human person and hylomorphism, all these things, we could go down the road of getting Thomistic on this stuff, which I love. But yeah. the point being, it's, it's, disti- it's perfectly complementary the way that the priest uh, or the consecrated man and the way the sister, religious, consecrated virgin – uh, lives out a love because because there's a type of love that is distinctly feminine bridal spousal uh, as opposed to the, the masculine nuptial uh, bridegroom love of the heart. So we don't even need to engage function initially. Like we really got to get back to these deep archetypes and talk about like the line of Adam and the new Adam, the line of Eve and the new Eve and how how they both relate to each other. And then what fulfillment means philosophically for each in relation to the other. And so you get up into the consecrated states then. And, and for the priest, he's kind of sharing in the heart of Christ, right? As he looks at the church um, with, the, with the Father and the Son as well, or the Spirit as well. But he's, he's looking with Christ and attempting to, to lay down his life with Christ for the church. It's a sort of a masculine bridegroom participation in the heart of God. The woman gets to look, if you will, the consecrated woman gets to look for, for the dyadic complement to, to Christ himself uh, as bridegroom. She as bride. 
And so there's like a very different way that the interior life unfolds for the consecrated woman in relation to Christ as spouse that I have as baptized, but I don't have. I mean, holy orders specifies the way I live my baptismal faith through through consecration to celebrate the sacraments and participate in Christ's effective sacramental ministry. So her heart is, the consecrated woman, is invited to relate to God and to the created and, and the uncreated, the supernatural order distinctly. And and I, I wouldn't want the other, you know, and and deep down at the at the level of Antos being, she wouldn't want the other. I mean, she could desire it at a more superficial level, but she's structured for a type of love and fulfillment in that love that is properly feminine and has with it uh, an entire cascade of fulfillment features that are related to the woman who is espoused to Christ. So you can unfold that talking about the interior life, about spirituality, spiritual theology. And after all that, you might get into wanting to talk about function which includes sacramental economy, um, governance, et cetera. And on governance, there are a lot of these places, even at the highest levels, where there is conversation coming out of the Vatican, even about ways women, lay or consecrated, could participate in some governance that used to not be on the table. Um, So it comes down to the sacraments. And in the end, yes, a woman will never be able to celebrate the sacraments um, because it's, it's confined to holy orders, which is in the line of Jesus Christ, the new Adam. And that to the heart, is it's, it's going to be kind of a final definitive statement. So there can be a sorrow about that. Um, but if we articulate a little bit more robustly everything else that flows out of it, like I, I'm, my fulfillment doesn't just come from the function of celebrating the sacraments. It comes from belonging to God, being consecrated for the sake of the gospel and, and trying to bring souls with me to heaven as best I can. And that uh, the woman gets to do that in a, a profoundly special way by personifying the church, the bride, helping the church to remember who she is, helping every member of the church to receive God more fruitfully, more fully, more freely, and in a more joyous fashion. And the the set of duties, if you will, if we wanted to get into function that relates to that side of the equation is massive. And, and you could argue there's almost a grander responsibility there in some ways. So I, yeah, I'm going to cut myself off because I've got so many thoughts <laughs> on it, but I just think there's so much beauty that we haven't really articulated for the, the, the side, the feminine side of the dyadic ultimacy. Yeah. You know, one of the things that strikes me as you're talking is this notion of awakening the love that only you can experience, right? Or that, that is meant for you. And a large part of evangelization, you know, you can go back and listen to our whole back catalog and we'll give you the tips and the tricks and we'll give you the theology and whatnot. But one of the things right now I'm teaching a a small group of high school students about Catholic morality and we're kind of taking it in a way that I've never been taught it before, which is to spend a lot of time on the notion of beatitude, um, Mm. which St. Thomas Aquinas does and, you know, really grounding the quest for morality with the quest for happiness and you re-understand the relationship of law and freedom within the context of happiness is something totally different. And as you're talking, it's like the, the evangelization that we're trying to get is so, so for instance, like how do we understand sin? Well, it used to be that when I committed a mortal sin, right, uh, back in my younger years, I commit a mortal <laughs> sin and I would say to myself, right, because I don't do that anymore, um, I would say to myself, well, can't be damned twice so that I would go back and indulge in the sin again and again and again, right? 
and people use that well like what's two mortal sins what's 10 mortal sins it's still the same end result until i get to confession and we tell ourselves these these like deep lies but when you look at it from a happiness beatitude virtue ethics perspective it's this no you are making it that much harder to get rid of your sin you're making it that much harder to even desire repentance and confession and all this stuff and you realize like so much of catholic liturgy and morality is rooted in these things called desires and I realize, like, this is an element of evangelization that sometimes gets left out, which is this notion of, like, your heart longs to be loved in the way that only Christ can love it. And you can, your life is fulfilled when you respond to the love that only Christ can give you and only Christ is worthy of receiving, right? And hearing you talk about this just makes that, like, so much more crystal clear in my mind. Like when I see people rejecting Christ, you know, in one sense, it's like, oh, they're, they're rejecting being on my team. You know, we have that team mentality. <laughs> you know, this guy on YouTube, Cameron Bertuzzi was, he's becomes Catholic. All these Catholics are like, yeah, welcome home. Yeah. Yeah. We won, you know, like, and it's like, oh gosh, you know, but, but the, the break is they don't know how much they are truly loved and they've never given themselves to a more worthy object of their love. And that's where our work begins. Amen to that. Preach it. And you're, you're spot on about it, what you're talking about is perfection. You know, our desire, all of our desires are for goods that, that we perceive to be good. And, and suitable goods are given to us and we're attracted to certain suitable goods because they're suitable for our pursuit of perfection, which is fulfillment, not flawlessness, but when all of our potential is actualized. And there's a, a, a set of potencies that are um, undeniably anchored in our our embodied state. And, and there's a distinct set of potencies among the, the male embodied state and the, the female embodied state. And, and there's a way then that like uh, perfection, fulfillment, fullness is, is uniquely masculine and feminine. Fatherhood is a perfection of masculinity. Motherhood is a perfection of femininity. Even if it's not material or biological motherhood and fatherhood, spiritual, supernatural, motherhood and fatherhood. And that, that's what love is trying to awaken in us, the, the love of God. Like God is trying to bring us to fulfillment, to fullness, ultimately in heaven, beatitude, but to participate and foretaste it here on earth. And so, yeah, evangelization, great image of the team thing, rather, and then there's, that's a, one way of looking at it, right? But if we, if we really believe in heaven as like everlasting happiness and the fulfillment and the perfection of every desire, uh, I want to be there and I want to bring everybody there. And there's a specific way, a personal way that's embodied in flesh that God is going to relate to every single human being. And, and we have, a, I think we have a lot more we can do to articulate what fulfillment means uh, for men and for women uh, with respect to like divine gratuity, gift, grace, life, love. And uh, I just think this is a place where JP2's Theology of the Body still is um, has a lot of potency that we haven't really yet brought into act. And uh, I'm glad you're thinking about it that way, Gummer, in, in the classroom, because I don't know. I mean, like, doesn't that seem to make a lot more sense? Like, yeah, I, I'm not just a human being who's going to be happy. I have concrete desires that are anchored in the fact that I also am biological. I, I have a sexuality 
which points me toward the other. And there's a way that like I can be holy with that and, and that can all be ordered and I can actually be fulfilled. Even if I don't act on my biological impulses, I can be fulfilled as a man who's consecrated or as a, if I were a single man not consecrated. And, and what does that fulfillment look like along the way to heaven? And how, how am I sharing in beatitude now by living the life ordered by grace, by communion, by, by the, the virtues, everything that our moral tradition contains? But there's a way that I find flourishing, a properly masculine way. And there's a properly feminine way that women will find flourishing. We need to articulate that at the at the high school level and beyond to to realize that this the, the pathway to heaven, the gospel, evangelization, these are all deeply personal things, and and people, persons, are men and women, and and like it or not, our bi- our biology is asserting itself over the whole landscape of the heart. And this is yeah another place where I could go on a long tangent about hylomorphism and commensuration and the, the embodied fact of our existence. But yeah, love what you're doing, man. <laughs> well- yeah, this is incredible. This is incredible. Dave, don't you think it's so much better than forgiveness? Yeah. No, I'm, just <laughs> no, I'm glad no, I'm I'm glad we talked about this because, you know, it was like a problem I didn't realize I guess I didn't really think about. And this is this is great. You know, one of the things to bring this back down a little bit that I've I've wondered about for a while, like just with vocations in general, men or women, is that like it's a full calling and a complete calling and it's weighty, right? And it's at the heights. And I kind of like sometimes think about that when I'm raising my kids, like, and I think about that with like other people who are child rearing that like, we don't expect a lot from children anymore. And even like through high school and like, I wonder how much this is going to affect vocations that like we've, we don't expect so much. And then all of a sudden they're, they're pressed with this, decision of like, look, this is all or nothing. Like this is something, God's not something that takes part of you. It wants, he wants every bit of your life. And particularly like in the priesthood and religious life, I wonder like moving forward, how, uh, how that is going to affect vocations. Um, because it is scary to think about, you know, I remember, I remember discerning the priesthood and being scared about it. Amen. And I think that's a great point to make for all the vocational states, including marriage is why we have a a real decline in sacramental marriages too, because it's easier, right? To just get married at the courthouse and like keep the option. I mean, the sacrament of marriage is demanding because it's all in all the way to heaven, as is the priesthood and and the consecrated states for women. And if we as a culture have lost our ability to expect excellence and call people to excellence, starting at a very young age, when it comes time to make a decision for excellence, like I'm going to give my life to this. I'm going to give my life to my my spouse or to the church or to Jesus. Uh, I'm not going to have the sort of the moral fiber or the the metal, if you will, because it hasn't been cultivated. My character hasn't been formed for that, that magnitude of a yes, as daunting as it is. And it's always daunting in every age. But I think the daunt, if you will, has gotten bigger as life has become more convenient, we've had to suffer less, you know, sacrifice is often eliminated from a lot of the very comfortable ways we live. Whereas, you know, prior generations, like life was full of sacrifice, full of suffering, full of death. And so you're just like, all right, I'm all in. I'm, I'm going to die sometime. I've seen a lot of people die, so let's go. It's pretty comfortable yeah. now. And so it's going to be harder and harder. You're spot on for all the vocations to just really make that full commitment in fear, knowing like, I don't have what it takes, but like God, God will equip me. But I've got to take that massive step to go, to go and not stay in the boat. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, there are common, common themes in my life. And one of those is 
I made it through fifth grade peewee football in Texas. <laughs> like something else, you know? And I, I know yeah. it seems so like an oversimplification, but there, we don't have those milestones anymore like we used to, you know? No, so totally. To think, yeah. We were talking last night about, you know, um, technology, frankly, in the seminary. A bunch of us were priests were together and just talking about how to like help. Seminary formation has gone through a new, there's a new document out of the Vatican. And so seminaries are adjusting the way they do formation. We're just talking about how to like form that, help men really grow in character and virtue. And one of the ideas we spitballed in, in an ideal world, um, and this wouldn't just be for seminary formation, but for anybody, was like, what if we could just take three months in the woods, you know, where like we go hiking, camping, fishing, we have to figure out a way for food. We got to sleep real poorly for not two nights in a row, but a month and a half, rainy, suffering, uh, and you deal with it and you deal with your mess there. You see the worst of you, you see the worst of your brother and, and you press through and you learn, you survive it basically. And then you learn along the way where you did and didn't do well. And that kind of comes to inform the way you're willing to, to lay down your life, but also like along the way, recognize when you're getting soft, uh, lean back on some of those strengths of character that you saw yourself develop. But I wish we could do that sort of thing. Like a gap year, that's kind of a cool idea in some ways. What if gap year was like, uh, I'll write a passage, you know, for everybody, like yeah. whatever, yeah. where you just had to like learn how to deal with suffering, how to deal with limit, how to deal with yourself, how to work through your stuff, but also do that in common. I don't know. I don't know if we have those sort of settings set up anymore. And uh, that doesn't mean we can't introduce them for the sake of fortifying a generation into a future that's going to demand a lot of us. Let's be honest. Yeah, there well, is well, uh, yeah. there's a seminary video a buddy sent me two seminary videos, one from the Russian Orthodox Church in America and the other <laughs> one from, uh, uh, let's just say, a prominent diocese uh, in the United States. And they were both like, like, hey, young men, come and see. Check out this life. And the first one was of the, uh, the American seminary. <laughs> It was like, we have the highest education. We, you know, wonderful theologians from all over the world, you know, and all this stuff. And, um, and it's like, uh, we focus on human formation. And it's like guys playing ping pong and stuff like that. And, and it's just like a lot of men in polos, uh, smiling right. at each right. other and, and walking around and, and, you know, and you know, obviously there's a lot of good stuff. Right. And then it goes to the Russian Orthodox one and they're like up in like Northern Canada or something like that in the snow and they have to chop their own wood. Like you would think they're the most austere monks, but this is what they put all of their priests in North America <laughs> through. And it's like, they're out in the wilderness in the snow and right, all right. of the, all of the, the, the first years have to chop the wood. And so they're out in the middle <laughs> going through it it's all spelling trees and and they and the the over uh the the guy in charge of the seminary was like we view the priesthood as like the special forces of the church so we have to make sure that they have the kind of elite training that they need to survive in a world that hates them and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But didn't they, they didn't realize uh, that the world cannot, uh, cannot reject ping pong. So you get, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, you mentioned like, it's too bad we can't make it like a rite of passage, like a gap year or something like that. I think like in a certain sense, that's like one of the biggest poverties that we've kind of lost the old understanding of Lent. 
right? Yeah. Like mm. when you're when you're a kid and your parents are serious about Lent, I remember thinking it was like a daunting task, you know. <laughs> and now it's just so easy. Like we, we, you know, we don't take it seriously enough. And I kind of wonder, like you know, is that what we're missing sometimes? You know? Mm. Yeah, that feeling of I made it when you get to Easter Sunday. Yeah. Right, and, uh, right, and all right. that stuff. Even those images of like, yeah, chopping wood up in the, the Canadian North. It's yeah. like it's not so much the activity itself that is a necessary skill. It's like the inner experience of coming through a trial, persevering in adversity, and and finding within oneself uh, the ability to respond to a challenge and to receive the grace to do so in a, in a manner according to God's gift. But that experience, if we don't have a setting for that to come forth, even just in our neighborhoods, in our homes. We're, we're just going to find an atrophy of the human condition. And it just yeah. ends up really sad. You know, it's just, it's a sad future yeah. if we don't find a way to f- cultivate character. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, we're going to throw it out to a commercial break real quick, but uh, I think the problem is, yeah, we are, we are, the culture is in such a confusion over gender and sexuality that it can't help but seep into the church. And so we don't know how to live out the hylomorphic reality of the maleness of the priesthood and the femaleness of consecrated life and um and religious life we don't we don't even know what that looks like anymore and so it just becomes like i, I don't know if you've experienced this but it seems to me that it they just become uh vaguely christian imitations of the corporate world or something along those lines where the pastor is really just a manager, you know what I mean? And so I think we're seeing this real crisis of our, of our humanity, but I hope, like you said, the, the reality that we are bodies, uh, as well as souls, this hylomorphic union of body and soul will keep asserting itself. Uh, nature will keep reminding us, uh, instead of, uh, yeah, us being able to just use technology and paper over it. So we're going to come right back and finish up this episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, hearing a fine word from Ascension Press, those great folks who have brought us all sorts of wonderful things like Father Mike Schmitz and Father Mike Schmidt. Yeah, wonderful stuff. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista. When I became Catholic, I had a really hard time understanding the role Mary was supposed to play in my life. So I went to her and I told her, I just don't get it. I need your help. And guess what? Mary did just that. She showed me a way to pray that has revolutionized my entire life. Mary has been called the mother of listening. She didn't just hear the word. She knew how to hear it in light of her own relationships, circumstances, and habits. And then she let the word transform her. I realized that I had to share what I was learning about Mary's way of praying with others. So I wrote How to Pray Like Mary, a step-by-step guide to discovering God's voice in the scriptures and letting Him transform your heart. I invite you to learn more about How to Pray Like Mary at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. We've been talking with Father John Burns of the Diocese of Milwaukee about... uh, well, just about like a crisis in the church, which is uh, female vocations. And, uh, you know, it's this is like totally the opposite of a topic that we were going to talk about. But it it just totally um, it really clicks with both Gomer and I that this is an important thing that we have to we have to be strategic and very serious about this is fostering 
female vocation. So, um, you know, we're, we're wrapping up here, but Father John, what would, I mean, if you could just give like a, a few tips to, uh, people who are raising daughters or for the women who are out there listening right now, what, what should they be open for? What should they be thinking about as far as fully discerning what, what it means? Yeah. I mean, for, for parents, like the question has to be, how can I help my children, my daughters in this case, uh, recognize all of the possibilities of the calling of God on their lives? And it's the fact that, you know, a lot of the time they haven't been around sisters. We talked about that earlier. They don't know it's a possibility, but you see places where God's still clearly calling young women who have never been around a consecrated woman. And that's a very strong sign of grace and, and the, the persuasion of grace upon the soul. So a parent if as much as they can to be thinking about that and, and presenting that question to their children and then to, to incarnate that to some degree, ideally in the flesh to, to bring sisters around, to be around a community of consecrated women, lay women in the world, uh, consecrated virgins. But if you can't be in person, at least this is one of the benefits of all the media we've got now. There's, there's plenty of ways to just get in front of the screen and show them uh, witness stories. We did a whole series with Blessed Is She called Common Sea. Cool. Uh, I'm in the middle of producing a series uh, with a number of different vocation directors of religious communities, uh, just about how to cultivate vocations, how, how priests can talk about it, how lay people can talk about it, what are the different charisms. So those are all, I've actually just started a little tiny website, renewreligious.org. And on there, I've got a bunch of the videos posted. We're going to keep posting more just to put resources in front of the local church and families so that it's not a, a vacuous question or you're not discerning in a vacuum, but also so that you know what to say and, and what, what to do. And there's a great book too for um, women, at least high school age and up, called uh, Discerning Religious Life by Mother Claire Mathias. It's kind of the go-to. It's a short book. It's basically all the questions a young woman would have about how to discern, especially if she's not being accompanied by a woman uh, who's consecrated. Great. So there's a lot out there. And, um, you know, I, maybe I want to add one thing here. This is three guys talking about women's vocations. And so there's probably a protest, you know, somewhere in the heart of the audience is like, well, it's just guys talking about girls' vocations. Like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. But like, th I think the point of this is like, no, what we're saying is the whole church needs to become concerned for every other state, for all of the states and the health of the consecrated and the lay states. And, and this is a place where I don't think the broad church has previously taken up enough maybe care and attention. So while it's three guys talking about women's vocations, maybe that's weird sounding. Um, I think it's also a witness to the fact like, no, we all recognize that we're better off when we have uh, healthy religious communities. And, and we've all been around sisters. When we're around a holy, joyous, religious woman, uh, something in our hearts comes awake and comes alive. And that's, that's for the good of the whole church. And here we're just getting concerned with that for the sake of the whole church's well-being. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving us your time. I know you're super busy traveling all the time and uh, helping women's religious oh, life yeah. and, and the renewal thereof. And so what, what's the name of that website? Relig Renew Religious? Renewreligious.org. And it is uh, apologies in advance. It's super simple. <laughs> a volunteer and I set it up. I don't know what I'm doing at all, but it's just a place to host some content and start getting resources out there for for those who are looking. So yeah, and I'll have more and more coming on there, but awesome. Renewreligious.org. Awesome. I, we will have all of this in the show notes. Good folks. Thank you so much, father, for coming on the show. We appreciate you so much. Yeah. Gift to be with you guys. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You too. You too, father. Awesome. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, this has been every knee shall bow your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization. Please be sure to text EKSB 
to 33777 to join our mailing list so that you can stay in the contact with us, especially whenever we release exciting episodes such as our new series that me and Dave are going to record here soon. In person, we're going to stare into each other's eyes. Also, we have interviews. We have listener questions. Keep sending all that stuff in, and those episodes will come uh, rolling out. So you want to be a part of our mailing list in order to be updated about those. Dave? God bless. Adios. Adios.